Hello, and welcome to another Growth Masters Federal podcast. Growth Masters Federal is a nationwide community of growth-oriented government contractors, their owners and executive teams, and the professionals who support them. The purpose is to share experiences and discuss timely topics on planning and executing the most effective growth strategies in the complex, highly regulated, but opportunity-rich federal marketplace. Your host is Shirley Collier, president and founder of Scale to Market. Scale to Market helps businesses think, plan, collaborate, and prosper in the federal marketplace by developing and executing data-driven, customized business development playbooks. The term commercial items has a very special meaning in federal procurement, and every contractor, without exception, should strive to qualify their goods or services as commercial items. New regulations carry important implications for certification, contracting, competition, and marketing in the federal arena, and taking advantage of these changes can mean considerable savings and increased profits for the savvy contractor. Shirley's guest today is Tom Marcinko, a principal consultant at Aronson, a nationally ranked top 100 assurance tax and consulting firm providing comprehensive services to contractors and suppliers in the federal sector. And now here's your host, Shirley Collier, with her guest, Tom Marcinko. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone. Our topic today regarding the government's preference for buying commercial items is particularly important in light of the passage of the 2018 National Defense Authorization Act's so-called Amazon Bill. Section 846 directs the GSA to establish a program to procure commercial products through commercial e-commerce portals. However, the bill expressly calls for a series of studies and development of further recommendations to support implementation, which is likely to stretch out for years. Nevertheless, this provision has substantial implications for companies that sell commercial items to the government who should closely monitor implementation of Section 846 for additional opportunities to sell their products to the government in this new venue. It also sets up potential clash between more traditional contractors and large e-commerce platforms. I will be interviewing Tom Marcinko from Aronson today, but first a little background. The implications of the so-called Amazon bill for government contractors and e-commerce sites could be substantial. The bill says that all agencies may procure commercial products through the online marketplaces as appropriate. The new statutory language also makes clear that GSA must enter into multiple contracts with multiple commercial e-commerce portal providers, thereby allaying fears that the bill could lead to a monopolistic online marketplace provider, as in Amazon, capturing a substantial portion of the government's needs. Finally, Section 846 makes clear that all laws, including federal procurement restrictions, apply to the online marketplace program. GSA, therefore, will have to enter into contracts with commercial e-commerce portals through full and open competition. Certain federal laws would apply to the suppliers of products through the online marketplace. These include barring already suspended or debarred suppliers, making provisions of the Berry Amendment, which is a domestic sourcing requirement, applicable, 
and procuring items from the blind and severely disabled or the Ability One products where applicable. Three additional requirements to the online marketplace were added in the final version of the bill, including the Buy American Act, waivers under the Trade Agreements Act, and a requirement to identify small business suppliers. To help us sort through these and other issues, I have asked Tom Morsenko to join us. Tom is a principal consultant in Aronson's Government Contract Services Group, where he is responsible for providing clients with a broad variety of both pre- and post-award support. With over 30 years of government contracting experience, he specializes in proposal development, contract and subcontract administration, FAR compliance, small business programs, and government audits. Tom is also the author of A Contractor's Guide to Purchasing Commercial Items, published in October of 2017 by the NCMA's CM Magazine. Hello, Tom. Thank you, Shirley, for that nice introduction, as well as the opportunity to appear on your podcast. Tom, the government's preference for buying commercial items was codified in FAR Part 12 way back in 1995. So give us some context. Let's start with the definition of a commercial item. The Federal Acquisition Regulation, or the FAR as it's known, defines commercial items to be items other than real property that are used by the general public for non-governmental purposes and, and this is key, have been sold, leased, or licensed to the general public or have been offered for sale, lease, or license to the general public. So an item can qualify as commercial even if it has no sales, as long as it is being offered for sale. In addition, items that only require minor modification to be suitable for government use also can qualify as commercial items. That means there's some judgment and discretion involved in the definition. There is a separate definition for commercial services. Initially, any services related to a piece of equipment or machinery, such as installation, maintenance, repair, or training, are considered to be commercial services as long as the underlying equipment or machinery qualifies commercial items, and such services are also offered to commercial customers. The definition of commercial services unrelated to a commercial product is a little more restrictive. To qualify as commercial, the services must be sold competitively in substantial quantities in the commercial marketplace based on established catalog or market prices for specific tasks or outcomes under standard terms and conditions. Hmm. That terminology sounds fraught with interpretation. So what is the definition of substantial quantities? Well, speaking of interpretation, the FAR does not define the term substantial quantities. Rather, the contracting officer is given a great deal of latitude to define the term in the context of a specific procurement. The bottom line is that there has to be enough competitive sales to give the contracting officer confidence that the commercial market has set the market rate for the services in question. And Tom, how are market prices established for these purposes? The market rate should equal the prices paid in the competitive commercial market for the specific services. Market rates are usually determined by reviewing quotations, purchase orders, and invoices for those services provided by contractors. 
Online research can also provide information as to the actual or most likely cost of commercial services. Okay, that makes sense. So how do contractors benefit from this Part 12 regulation? There's a great deal of benefits for contractors. Uh, FAR Part 12 commercial awards generally offer contractors benefits in two ways. Commercial contracts are based on price, not cost, and contain FAR, there's a pun intended here, fewer (laughs) FAR clauses. Most government contracting is cost-based and requires contractors to maintain an adequate accounting system, to comply with the FAR cost principles and possibly the cost accounting standards, to submit cost and pricing data in support of their proposals, and to undergo numerous audits. The government refers to this cost-based approach as administratively burdensome, which means expensive. (laughs) Yes. Cost-based contracting also exposes contractors to the risk of disallowed costs, defective pricing, and False Claims Act violations, among other things. FAR Part 12 commercial contracts are price-based, so contractors completely avoid the administrative burdens and risk associated with cost-based contracting. FAR Part 12 commercial contracts allow purely commercial companies to sell to the government without making any changes to their accounting practices. And on the second note, generally speaking, fewer FAR clauses is always a good thing for contractors. Many traditional government contracts have over 100 FAR clauses, most of which contain some type of compliance requirement with associated risk. The number of FAR clauses that can be included in a FAR Part 12 commercial contract is statutorily limited. I have seen very large commercial contracts that contain no more than a dozen FAR clauses. Wow. So what you're saying is that compliance risk and the associated cost for government contractors is lower. And I agree with you that the fewer burdens, the better if the contractor has been selling that item already in the private sector. So that begs the question, how does the government determine if an acquisition qualifies for the FAR Part 12 commercial procedures? Prior to making an acquisition, contracting officers are required to conduct market research to determine if the item or services to be acquired qualify as a commercial item. Much of the market research is done online but requests for information, sources sought notices, pre-solicitation conferences, one-on-one meetings with industry, and contractor white papers are also used. Contractors who want to sell to the government on a commercial basis should take advantage of any opportunity to demonstrate to the government that the items or services they offer qualify as commercial. That's a good point, Tom. I have been advising my IT clients recently to include this point in their sales pitches to federal decision makers and influencers. In addition to establishing that the items that they are selling have been sold in the commercial market, in your opinion, what should contractors be emphasizing in their sales pitches? Well, surely not every government official fully appreciates the advantage FAR Part 12 commercial procurements offer the government. So in addition to demonstrating your products or services qualify as a commercial item, I recommend noting the advantages this designation offers the government. In other words, faster, simpler, and less expensive procurements. And, assuming that you believe this to be accurate, you can note that failure to treat these items as commercial means less firms will be willing to bid, 
which is likely to result in higher costs to the government. Yes, and less competition. Exactly. So we, we know that prime contractors can take advantage of FAR Part 12. What about subcontractors? Subcontractors absolutely can take advantage of FAR Part 12. If the prime contract was awarded via FAR Part 12, then by definition, uh, any subcontracts will also be commercial in nature. But even traditional cost-based government prime contracts will require the prime contractor to award commercial subcontracts to the maximum extent practicable. Even if the government has determined that the prime contract statement of work doesn't qualify as commercial, it is still possible, even likely, that many items the contractor will purchase qualify as commercial items. Some prime contractors may not be aware of the requirements to award commercial subcontracts whenever possible. If you think what the prime contractor wants to buy from you qualifies as commercial, you should request that a commercial-type subcontract be utilized. This is an important point, Tom, and one that small businesses especially are not very knowledgeable of. The fear of regulatory oversight and the associated cost often scares small businesses away from doing business with the federal government, and by default, they shy away from doing business with prime contractors. Educating themselves on this regulation could potentially open up significant opportunities for them. Tom, let's take a brief break. We will return momentarily. Today's podcast on commercial items and federal procurement is brought to you by Scale to Market, helping businesses thrive and grow in the federal marketplace by developing and executing data-driven, customized business development playbooks. Shirley Collier is your host, and our guest today is Aronson's Tom Marcinko. And now back to our podcast. Hello, and welcome back. I've been talking with my guest, Tom Marcinko of Aronson, about the government's preference for buying commercial items. I often get the question about introducing proprietary software to a federal agency, given the government's movement toward open source. Let me clarify how this plays out. Federal agencies have been criticized in the past for buying proprietary software for mission-critical functions and being held hostage by those vendors. As a consequence, over the last decade, the government has adopted open source code and practices for custom software development. And that will continue. However, the government is also looking for pre-packaged hosted apps, sometimes referred to as the cloud, for cost effectiveness. These so-called commercial apps range from cyber solutions to project management to help desk software. Generally, if the government has a need that is similar to those of commercial entities, they are generally seeking the best of breed and the most cost-effective commercial solutions to fill their needs. This is where contractors can leverage their commercial items for competitive advantage. And I'm talking about small businesses as well as large. Tom, let's get back to the implementation over the next two to three years of the new online marketplace for purchasing commercial items. What do you think will be the greatest potential impact on government contractors? Uh, Surely it's hard to say for sure since the online marketplace is still in the conceptual phase. But I envision less bureaucracy, even less FAR clauses than FAR Part 12 procurements, 
and shorter procurement lead time, all good things for both the government and contractors. Though I will say this, once the online marketplace is up and running, I expect sales of commercial items under FAR Part 12 procurements, or the GSA schedules for that matter, to plummet. A company whose products are not available on the online marketplace might be virtually excluded from the federal market. I recommend that contractors who sell commercial items closely monitor the development of the online marketplace and ensure they are positioned to get their products included when it is implemented. I think this is critical, Tom. I'm discussing strategies now with many of my clients who sell products to the federal government to begin positioning themselves to move quickly to the new online marketplace when it becomes available. However, Section 846 of the 2018 NDAA kicks the can down the road a bit through future studies and delayed implementation, which I understand is set to occur in phases. Nothing happens quickly in the federal government. Among other things, Section 846 dropped many of the specific requirements and characteristics previously being contemplated for the e-commerce provider, deferring the definition of those pending further study. Each phase requires distinct actions and submissions. So um, my understanding is that it will roll out in three phases. So these are the phases. Phase one requires the Office of Management and Budget, OMB, in consultation with the GSA to create an implementation plan and schedule for carrying out the online marketplace program, which we anticipate to occur in 2019. Phase two requires OMB and GSA to prepare recommendations for any changes to or exemptions from laws necessary for effective implementation of the program within one year of submitting the implementation plan and schedule contemplated under phase one. So that means if I have my math right, (laughs) that phase two will happen sometime in 2020. Phase three requires OMB and the GSA to create guidance for the program within two years of submitting the implementation plan and schedule contemplated under phase one. So this looks like then guidance will not come out until 2021. Given the phased implementation of Section 846, it's unlikely that the provisions will have an immediate tangible impact on federal contractors. This is amplified by the fact that Section 846 gives GSA a large degree of discretion in implementing the online marketplace program, which, as you've indicated, and some uh, others are also saying, it could be viewed as competing against the GSA. However, Once implemented, Section 846 could significantly impact the federal procurement marketplace, and savvy contractors will be monitoring this development and getting out in front of its implementation. So as we wrap up here, Tom, do you have any final bits of advice? I I do. I, I, I would advise contractors... Don't wait for the implementation of the new online marketplace to begin making commercial sales to the government, because you can take advantage of FAR Part 12 right now. FAR Part 12 has been around since 1995, as you mentioned, and the government already knows how to buy commercial items, as evidenced by the billions of dollars of FAR Part 12 awards to date. 
The online marketplace may ultimately be more efficient, but many commercial firms are benefiting from FAR Part 12 contracts as we speak. Tom, thank you so much for your insights today. It, it was my pleasure. For more information on Aronson, go to AronsonLLC.com. That's A-R-O-N-S-O-N-L-L-C.com. Our guest today was Tom Marcinko. He can be reached at tmarcinko at aronsonllc.com. This is your host, Shirley Collier with Skelta Market, signing off for now. Thank you for joining us today. For more information on how to grow your business in the federal marketplace, visit our website at scaletomarket.com, that's scale2market.com, and subscribe to the Growth Masters Federal channel on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you got your podcasts. Join us again soon and have a great day.